0: You're listening to the River City Church podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Continuing our series called On Purpose, On Purpose. And uh, today we're in the last part of the story of the temptation of Jesus. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And if you missed any part of this series, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to what you missed. And uh, we have our podcast online. You can listen on Spotify, Apple, iTunes. But uh, this is the third part. And uh, the message title, if you're taking notes, is Isn't There a Shortcut? Isn't There a Shortcut? My, my, my mom and I have had a disagreement ongoing for about 25, 30 years. Uh, I know I'm going to get in trouble after she hears the podcast today. Um, but, but there's two things my mom loves. One is a discount. So she can get any, it, like, she just went on a great trip for their anniversary and, and they, she loved it. They had a great time. She could not stop telling me about what a great deal they got. So that's, that's the first thing. But she also, the big one for years has been, this is where we have the disagreement, is directions. Like, she loves a shortcut. And the problem is, what she thinks is a shortcut, and what I think are a shortcut, are two different things. And so we used to live 45 minutes away from where our church was, uh, where we both, my parents and I, went to church. And, uh, and and I was there, you know, every chance the doors were open, just hungry for Jesus. And and we we would we would find different ways to get to church, but my, the most obvious route was just taking the highway, taking the that where there were no there were no lights, there was no street lights. And but she had a shortcut she liked to take because it was for her the shortest distance on a It had the least amount of mileage. The problem was it had two of the longest streetlights humanity has ever created. Like it was just, so no matter what the miles were, and she was absolutely convinced that it was a shortcut, and I beg to differ, because sometimes things that look short and look like a quicker route, look like an easier way, sometimes cost us more than we expect. And so we're talking about being on purpose, and we've looked at three tests. This is the third test today. And uh, it's in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says that Jesus was led. He was led by the Spirit into the desert or the wilderness. And he was led there to be tempted by the devil. This is just following his baptism at the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. It says, Luke says it this way: He was filled with the Spirit. Then he was led by the Spirit, uh, and 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 the end result of what's going to happen here is that he would be he would come out of the desert or the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. But it's in between this place where he's tested. It's in this in between space between where he's been and where he was about to go before his public ministry and and healing the sick and opening blind eyes and all the things that Jesus would do both. As Fully God, the Son of God, but also fully man, the Son of Man. And and, and so Jesus came, and, and in this in between season in the desert, he's tested. And there's two purposes of the test the first is what the enemy's trying to do, here called the devil. And, and he's actually given three names here, uh, the devil, the tempter, and Satan, uh, and, and all of these indicate his strategy. He's the adversary, he's the accuser, uh, and he's also the tempter. And the reason why Satan tests is always to undermine, destroy, deceive, to steal and kill in our lives. That's always why. The enemy has nothing good planned. Like, like, like uh, Pastor Jason said when he was leading worship, he said, you may be leaving here and going to somewhere dark. I don't know what he's got planned for lunch, but, <laughs> but, but you may be going somewhere dark, but you're declaring the name of Jesus in dark places, and the enemy brings darkness to steal, kill, and destroy. Always. But, but here's why God tests. Did you know God has tests? God has tests, but they're for a very, very different purpose. God's tests and the purpose for for the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness is why God tests us. God's tests are always for qualification and promotion. In other words, God wants to do something in our life, but he wants to develop us, transform us, prepare us to be able to handle what he wants to do. And for the end result, which in this case Jesus comes out in the power of the Spirit, the end result always requires a process. Always requires testing. The devil tests to destroy; God tests to prepare and promote. Verse four, uh, or verse two, excuse me. When Jesus had fasted for forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, "If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread." Jesus answered, he quotes Deuteronomy, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The first test we looked at is the test of appetite. The first test on your, in your purpose, the first test in your calling, the first test in, in entering into the, the next level and what God has for you is always in the area of appetite, the issue is, at the test of appetite, will we try to feed legitimate needs in our life from an illegitimate source? Satan says, well, why don't you just take the shortcut? Why don't you turn this stone into bread? Jesus is hungry. He has a natural, legitimate need. And yet, the test was, fill it from an illegitimate source. Do things out of God's way, out of God's timing. And that's why we looked at the importance of the way to overcome that is the test, of, or, or is the means of self-control. Self-control is when we can say no to the illegitimate source to be able to say yes to something better. And so uh, then the, the second test or temptation comes. It says, The devil took him up into the holy city, Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Like this is a weird test to me because I get the bread, I get, I'm hungry, bread. I don't get, jump off the cliff. Like, like that's the second test, but here's what he says. Throw yourself down if you are the son of God. Prove you are who you say you are. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their, their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The second test, which we looked at last week, is the test of insecurity. If you're going to step into the purpose of God, go to the next level. And God, there's going to be a point at which you're going to have to deal with the issue of insecurity. That voice in the temptation that says, prove yourself. Prove yourself to them. Prove yourself to others. See, if if the appetite test deals with whatever feeds me, controls me, then the second test, insecurity, is whatever I perform for controls me whose opinion I perform for, even trying to prove things to myself, I'm gonna be different, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna go forward, I'm gonna do things the right way. And when we try to prove for something other than living for the purpose of God, we do so out of a place of insecurity. The third temptation is what we're gonna look at today and it's, it's, the, it's the test of ambition. The test of ambition. And again, verse eight, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He took him on the mountain. Listen, sometimes your tests are in difficult seasons. You know, there's been some seasons of my life that were really hard. Maybe you're in one right now. And in a tough place, I think, man, those were places where I drew near to God because I knew I needed him. But you know, there's just as much of a test on the mountain as in the valley. Sometimes many people can serve God when they're going through something difficult because they go, man, I'm going through hell. I need Jesus. I need God. But then when they go to the mountaintop and things are going good, they forget God. They forget the hand of God. They forget the God whose blessing is the God who brought them there. And, and, And so the temptation is he brings them on this high mountain. He says, here's all the kingdoms. All of this I will give you, verse nine. All of it if you just do one thing. Just one little thing fall down and worship me. That was always after one thing and it's to redirect worship away from the only one who's worthy of it. If the first thing is whatever feeds you controls you and the second test is whatever I perform for controls me. The third one, the test of ambition is all about this, that whatever captures my heart controls me. And, 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 and we're gonna look at something here because here's what happens. He offers him, he says, all of this, all of it, I'll give to you. Just worship me. And and Jesus responds, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I think all of the tests, all of the temptations of the devil were all to bring it to this. Like this is the long game. This is what he was after all along. In fact, I believe it's what he's always been after. He's always been after the issue of redirecting your worship. And when it comes down to it, if you didn't realize this, the devil is patient enough to play the long game in your life and mine. If he can't have you now, he'll wait until an opportune moment. I've seen people 5, 10, 20 years down the road once be strong in their faith and then be easily taken aside by something that seems so small. But over time, he found a way to redirect, a way to tempt, a way to just get them to make small compromises. And I think there's something we have to recognize. I, I, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Fear Factor. Anybody ever watch Fear Factor? A couple of you. Remember Fear Factor? Okay, so, so you were offered $50,000 if you would just do something that you were afraid to do. And usually it was something like this. You know, you'd have to climb a tall building or jump out of a window with a, 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 a cable or something. I mean, just some ridiculous thing. Or the worst ones weren't that for me. It was the, you know, eat a, a, a cockroach. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or put spiders, like they'll put you in a tank and fill it with snakes. And like, you've got to stay in the tank with all the snakes for three minutes. And if you can make it to the very end of the show, you can win. That's the price. You can win. 50,000 dollars. What would people do for money? What would people do? In fact, I'm going to ask you, do you have a number? Like, if I told you, hey, you, you just eat those cockroaches, uh, or, or jump in that vat of snakes, and you only have to do it for three minutes, and you'll get $10. Most of us go, that is, like, I can't even buy a box of cereal for $10. <laughs> but but if, you, if, if somebody offered you enough, like a million dollars to get in that tank of snakes, and you're like, well, how long? I mean, I guess, you know, eat the cockroach. Like once you get past the crunch, it's not such a big deal. Okay, I know, I'm sorry. I and, 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 But here's the, here's the issue. There's a price. How much money could somebody give you to get you to be quiet about your faith? Is there a number? Like maybe you've got a number that's like right now in your head, once I make this amount, I will quit my job. I will walk in tomorrow and say, sayonara. (laughs) I have got the number. But let me ask you is there a number attached to, if you would just have this, you'd be willing to be quiet about Jesus? And I know most of us would say no, but we're often much quieter for far less. Would you be willing to compromise your character for that relationship? Would you be willing to compromise your values? Would you, be willing to, would you be willing to sell out for just a little bit? Just, just bow the knee just a little bit. What's your price? What's your number? He says, all these kingdoms, all of this I'll give you. And he's offering him something. But I want to start with the positive for a moment because there's actually something on the inside of us when we deal with the test of ambition. The reason why that's a test is because every one of us was created to desire more. And that doesn't come from the devil. That doesn't come from the world. You were created for more than what life gave you, what you've experienced, what maybe your family handed to you. You were created for more than what the world can offer. You were. You were created. In fact, we're created. We're hardwired by God to dream. It's not the devil that gave you an imagination. It was God. God wired you. To dream, to hope, to expect, to want something different than what you have today, God's wired you, but the issue is, can we have God's dream or does the dream own us? Because ambition comes down to dreaming isn't bad. In fact, I believe that many people give up on a God dream prematurely. The Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Some of us, as I'm talking about ambition, you're going to think, well, I don't have ambition. I've long since let that dream die. Do you know it's just as bad to ignore a God dream as it is to pursue the wrong dream? It's just as invalid to let what God wants to birth on the inside of my heart, what God, and you were created for that. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs. It says, without vision, people perish. The New King James says it like this, that without revelation, people cast off restraint. In other words, if I don't know that I'm created by God for God's purpose, and I'm created for an eternal, uh, with eternal worth and value, and I'm not here by accident, the world says you're a number, you're a random accident of biology, that there's all these different things the world tries to label you with, but here's what's true. You were created by God with purpose. You were created for eternity. You're made in the image of God. And and, and here's what happens. God puts something on the inside that says, I'm born for more than what I'm seeing now. And if you don't know that, you'll settle today and sell out tomorrow. Remember Esau? He did that. We shared that the first week, the test of appetite. He sold his birthright, his inheritance, for lunch at Panera. Like he got a bowl of soup in exchange for an inheritance. And, and when it comes down to it, you have God dreams that he bursts on the inside. In fact, let me just prove it to you. Uh, here's, here's what the Bible says in uh, Psalm 126.1. When the Lord brought back the captives, the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. He brought back those who had been taken away from their homeland, the promises, all of it, and they were now in their wilderness. They were brought out of that, but now they began to dream again. He says, when the Lord brought us back from from a faraway land, from captivity in Babylon, we started to dream again. You know your heart is healthy and getting healed because you start to dream. When you're... when you're, when you're bound and you can't see a way forward, when you're burdened by, by offense and, and failure and shame, it's hard to see a future. The devil comes along and says, who do you think you are dreaming like that <laughs> with your history and your background and who do you think you are? But dreaming's from God. Dreaming's good. In fact, let me, let me show you. Uh, Joel chapter two talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it says. I shall pour out my spirit in the last days. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And old men shall dream dreams and young men shall see visions. And I know it's talking about spiritual dreams, how God communicates through those things. But I, don't, I, I think it's interesting that he doesn't just say young men shall dream dreams. He says old men. Because sometimes we've lived long enough in life to stop dreaming. too late failed too much made too many mistakes missed my opportunity dreaming is from god daniel 2 uh we won't read all of this for time but daniel 2 describes what happens we looked at daniel during the test of the appetite how daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself he predecided before temptation this is my values and this is where i'm standing my ground uh He works for a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon. And if you think you have a difficult boss, just look at some of the bosses in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar one day has a dream, and it disturbs him because he wants to know the dream and the meaning of the dream. And he sees in this dream, it'll later explain what it is. He sees an image, a statue, and there's a head of gold, and he sees different sections of the statue, and it's a prophetic dream about the future of his kingdom and the kingdoms after But the point is, he has a dream, and in Daniel chapter 2, beginning in the first part, it says that his sleep left him, and he's given a dream that's not just a pizza dream, it's not just, you know, have you ever had a pizza dream? Like, you had way too much pepperoni on that pizza, and so you're dreaming some weird stuff. That's not what he's having. He's having a dream from God, and I love this because God doesn't just give dreams to believers. He puts dreams in the hearts of people that don't yet know him. Every person is created by God with something on the inside, a question that you will not find an answer to outside of the one who gave it to you. And he calls all of his, he calls the astrologers, he calls the magicians, his counselors who are involved in all kinds of counterfeit spirituality. He says, Surely you know the answer. He calls all of his multitude of all these people, brings them together, and he says, what is my dream? And if you can't tell me my dream, you're all a bunch of phonies and you're going to die for it. Told you he was tough to work for. (laughs) Daniel hears word of this because Daniel's one of his counselors. And Daniel seeks God and asks God, give me the dream and the interpretation, and God does. And Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, here's the dream. Here's what it means. God is showing you what's to come in the latter days, is the way he describes it. And then in verse 30, if we can put that on the screen, I think it's verse 30. Daniel chapter two, verse 30. Let me, let me read this. He says, as for me, the secret of your dream has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anybody else, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation of, to the king. In other words, he's saying, God is letting me know so I don't die, but also this reason that you, Nebuchadnezzar, can I just say, You, Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked, ungodly, idolatrous king, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. God puts something on the inside of every human heart that will not find an answer until they find it in Jesus. And we can look to every other source like Nebuchadnezzar does. We can look to relationships, we can look to money, we can look to positions and power and all these things, trying to find fulfillment, but there will always be a question on the inside until we find the only answer which is in Jesus and our purpose in him. And he says that you may know what's in your heart because there's something inside that God himself is revealing to you, Nebuchadnezzar. God gave this man a dream. God put it in him to show him his part in a larger story. And when disappointment comes, Proverbs 13:12, hope deferred. I mentioned this, deferred makes the heart sick. Some of us have allowed disappointment to condition us to lay aside dreaming with God but let me take it a step further because you know what Nebuchadnezzar does immediately afterward (laughs) in chapter three? He sets up an image. Daniel says, hey, you saw this vision and there's a head of gold. There's all these different kingdoms that it represents, but your kingdom, Babylon, it's the head of gold. So you know what Nebuchadnezzar does? That's awesome. In chapter three, he builds an image of gold. and says, everybody worship this image. God gave him a dream. He made the dream of God become a god. That's the test of ambition. Can you even take the thing that God gave you, that God showed you, that God put inside of you, will that take the place of the most important relationship you were created for, which is God? Some of us want the dream more than God, if we're honest. We want that relationship more than God. We want that opportunity, that job, that that business, that whatever, that platform. We want that more than we want him. That's where the test of ambition comes. Genesis 37 tells the story of Joseph. Joseph is, is, spends a decade of his life in a wilderness, in a desert, literal desert too, in Egypt. But it starts out when he's a young man. And Joseph, he's a dreamer. He, in fact, gets two dreams from God. God shows him a dream about his future, about his purpose. And he goes and tells his family, which was kind of a mistake. I know... You know, Hopefully you've got some family, I do, that encourage you, but maybe you don't. Maybe you've got some people that discourage you, some friends, some family, and you're like, man, I'm excited about what God's doing, and they go, oh, let me help, put, let me, let me bring out the fire extinguisher on your dream. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? And, and, and his brothers accuse him and mock him, and they actually call Joseph. Joseph walks up to him and they say, look, the dreamer's coming. Look who it is. People who've let their dream die will always attack people who still have one. So I gotta be careful who you share that with. I don't tell everybody everything that God's put in my heart. Neither should you. Joseph tells his brothers, and his brothers plot to kill him. One of them says, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. They do. And he spends the next decade of his life first a slave, then a prisoner, And and he's held captive, but he still has something on the inside. I want you to see this. I think it's Psalm 103. If we can put this on the screen. Sorry, 105. Verse 17. God sent a man before Israel named Joseph who was sold as a slave. I know what people meant to do to him, but God had a purpose. They hurt his feet with fetters. They laid him in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord, what's that word? Tested him. So, so what does that mean? It means that he spends 10 years of his life and along those 10 years, he was offered some shortcuts. His boss's wife tried to make an advance on him. Desperate housewives of Thebes. <laughs> and, and all along the way, Joseph is convinced of who he is and who his God is. Even though nothing in his circumstance looks like the dream. Because that's the place the, the enemy always offers the shortcut. That will never happen. Things will never change. Take the easy route. Just bend the knee. Nobody will even know it. Who's around to see it? It'll just be you and me. That little compromise, that little shortcut, that little change that, that you it just just nobody will know. And Joseph stays faithful to God, and God's able to promote him. He actually becomes the second in charge of all of, it, of, of Egypt. And God uses him to save a nation. But why could He God use him for all of that? Because in the midst of his wilderness, he was tested. And he was prepared, and he was transformed. The word of the Lord, tested. that word test is, is like we would have metal fused together to strengthen it. It's in the place of the desert where the enemy offers you a shortcut, but you can still say no, where your character becomes stronger, where your faith becomes stronger, where your prayer life grows, because you don't see a way to make it happen, but you trust God. Yeah. Where you don't see how your family's gonna be transformed, but you trust God in the in between space. And that's where the enemy offers a shortcut. It's where he comes to Jesus, and here's what he says All these kingdoms, all of this, I give to you. What is he offering Jesus? Do you know what he's offering him? He's offering him a crown without a cross. He's saying, I'll give you this. What's your ambition, Jesus? What's your desire? Is it the world? Is it the the kingdoms of these people? And Of course, you know, Satan misunderstands. Jesus didn't come for an earthly kingdom. He came to seek and save what was lost. But I want you to understand, we've often, because of ambition, mispurpose. Satan offers them the shortcut and he's saying, I'll give you the crown and it won't even cost you the cross. <laughs> it won't cost you the cross. Just bow your knee, take the shortcut, take the easy road. Do you know that God brings things into my life and so does the enemy? He sometimes offers us what looks good and may even be, if we're honest, on the surface is good but it costs in the long run because it's not God. Do you know God brings people into your life and so does the devil? I, I, I know we sometimes don't always recognize that. Uh, God brings finances and resources into your life, so does the devil. God, God brings opportunities into your life, so does the devil. So, so if both are bringing things into your life, how do you know which one's Right? Why would God bring these? Well, God brings these things to be a blessing in my life. God brings people into my life, relationships in my life to bless my life. God brings brings opportunities in my life for purpose. The enemy brings opportunities for distraction. It's quiet in this church today. It'll be much more fun next week, I promise. we will be out of the wilderness. (laughs) But, But I want you to catch this because this is so important. The test of ambition is the test of will. This dream hold me, and how do you know the difference? I I told you last week, we have the Word of God to be the divider, the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Because there's some things, man, I really want. In fact, here's we, we think we're sophisticated. Because like you go to another country maybe in, in missions and you'll go to a nation that has idolatry out in the open and, and, and there's places still in the world where at a certain time of day, they'll, they'll ring a bell and a cart will pull an idol, a statue that generations have bowed down and worshiped at lunch hour. Happens all over the world. And we think, well, I'm not that, like we're, 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 we're more sophisticated than that. But can I just tell you, our idols aren't as obvious, but they're no less potent, no less powerful to capture our heart. What's an idol? Sometimes the idol is whatever doesn't bring God glory. Sometimes the idol is, it's it's the thing I stepped around God to get. I want that relationship so bad, I'm gonna ignore God's voice, ignore the counsel, ignore godly wisdom around me, and I'm going after that person. And then five years later, I'm gonna need a whole lot of counseling. I've been in this a long time, guys. (laughs) But I'm telling you that because there's something, not all that glitters is gold. And a relationship with Jesus and allowing the truth of the word of God to cut through all of the stuff helps me to recognize, God, this is what you want for my life and this is what you have and, 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 and your dream is better than what I would settle for. He offers him if he would just worship. He said, all of this will be yours. If you'll just bow down, if you'll just give it to me, here's some other things I think can be an idol. It's, it's what I step around God to pursue. It's also what I'm willing to compromise to get. And anything I compromise to get, I will one day lose. That's a promise. And here's a less obvious one, and probably a more relevant one for most of us. Many times, even unfortunately in my life, I've found that there's some things I think I can't have joy, I can't find joy until I have this. I know you've never said that. But I can't have joy until this happens. That's an idol. It's an idol if I can't walk away from it. God begins to speak to you to lay something down, to step away from something, To, to and it's like, oh no, God. <laughs> Are, is there anything else I can do? Have you ever tried to make a deal with God? Like, God, I'll obey you in all of this other stuff. Just don't ask for that. Okay. Let me give you a few things to pass the ambition test. Number one is give everything to God. I I, I would add this, give everything back to God. What do you do with the dream God gave you? Give it back to him. What do you do with the dream that's died and seems impossible? Give it back to God. What do you do with the dream that you're walking in right now, but you don't know if you can keep it? Give it back to God. What about the stuff that I didn't start out right? I didn't start out with Jesus at the center of my marriage. I didn't start out with Jesus in my business. I didn't start out with God at the center of, of, of my life. Give it to God. Genesis 22, Abraham, he's experienced now after 20 years of praying and asking God, God has brought his promised son Isaac. Isaac's now in his life. Everything he's hoped for, everything he's ever wanted has come to pass in this one child. And one day he wakes up and here's what God says to him. In Genesis chapter 22, we won't read it all for time, but I'd encourage you to look at it. God speaks to Abraham one day and he says, Abraham, yes, God, I want you to give me your son. In fact, here's how God says it. Your son, your only son whom you love. And you know what Abraham does? Abraham does something that I think is the key to true obedience. Because I've decided I'm going to stop procrastinating tomorrow. Delayed obedience actually isn't obedience, and a lot of times, at least in my life, there's been times where God's asked me to do something hard, and I try to figure it out. I'm like, well, maybe it was the pizza. (laughs) God is not really, And, and, and then we talk ourselves out of faith. You know what Abraham does? Early the next morning, he gets up and goes and follows what God said. He packs up Isaac, he packs up his stuff, and Isaac at this point is actually a young man, not even a child. And he goes to the mountain and he comes to a place one of the mountains of Moriah. And God's, God shows him the place he's going to take him. And when they arrive at the destination, Abraham turns to the servants that are with him and say, the boy and I are going to go up on the mountain and we are going to worship the Lord there and then we'll come back to you. And there it appears the first time that anyone ever in the Bible has used the word worship. There's a law in in studying the Bible called the law of first mention that often the first mention of a term, a word, or a thing creates the idea of how that's to be understood throughout the Bible. And while worship predated this moment, this is the first time that word worship is used and it's used of a moment of great cost. Abraham, offer to me. It's the only time God ever told somebody to do this. He said, offer to me your promised son. And you know The reason God did that, we know it now in hindsight and we'll know it later in the story. Abraham will find it out. It's because God himself would offer his only begotten son. He takes Isaac up the hill, Isaac carrying the wood of the altar that he himself would be offered on, and he takes it to the top of the hill. And this story is just so mind-blowing, but Isaac lays his own body, and he gets on top of the altar, and Abraham binds him up, and Abraham, prepared to offer his son, God stops him and says, don't touch the boy, for I see that you will not even hold back what's most precious to you. Do you know why we know of Abraham? Father Abraham, you know. Yeah, there's lots of things that Abraham did, but you know the number one thing he did was he was willing to put his dream on an altar. And there's a biblical reason because he takes his son off the altar and God provides a different sacrifice. A lamb, a ram caught in the thicket and he places that and that ram, that sacrifice takes the place of his son because one day God would send his son to take my place and your place and die on a cross. All of that was a prophetic picture, but in the moment, oh man, it looked like a dream dying. It looked like all of Abraham's hopes and all of his ambitions and all of his expectations for the future were about to be laid on an altar and were lost forever forever. Sometimes when your dream seems dead, you know what you need to do? Give it back to God. When you've tried to make things happen your way instead of God's way, you give it back to God. And even if you are following God in it, sometimes the dream can drift and take the place of priority in your life where now you're pursuing the dream of God even more than God himself. What do you do? Put it on the altar. Do you know what I found? Abraham receives back what he offered. And sometimes I've Receive back what I've surrendered. And I've not received it back the same way because when Abraham received back Isaac, I'm telling you, everything was different because now Isaac wasn't just his son. Isaac belonged to God. What happens when you give God your family? What happens when you give God your marriage? What happens when you give God your business? What happens when you give God your future? It's no longer mine, it's his. And if it's his, he'll take care of it. When we're young and we don't have a lot to lose, it's easy to go, I don't care. (laughs) Throw caution to the wind. And then suddenly when you've accumulated some life and relationships and people and stuff, along the way there starts to be fear that keeps you up at night. Why? Because you still own it. But when you give it all to God and say, God, it's yours. I'm inviting you to do what only you can. Abraham experienced the blessing of placing it on the altar, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Jason, if you won't come up, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your lives, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. I know in the world it doesn't make sense. Why would I give God everything? Doesn't that mean I lose something? No, in, in the Bible, Jesus said it like this, when you lose your life, you actually find it. you actually find it. You actually create space for God to bring what only God can bring. And in the process of offering on the altar, here's what also happens. You start praying really crazy prayers like this. God, if you aren't in it, I don't want it. I know it looks good, but if you're not in it, I don't want it. If you're in it, I know it doesn't make sense, but I'm all in. If you're not in it, I don't want it. If you're in it, I'm all in. That's what happens when you begin to place it all on the altar and give it back to God. Last three, I'm going to give you these quickly. Number two, remind yourself of what is already yours. Do you know the devil could not offer Jesus something that wasn't already his? (laughs) Did you hear me? The lie and temptation of the enemy is always, God's holding out on you, God's keeping back his best. The last book of the Bible will say this, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and his Christ. Psalm two, before Jesus showed up on the scene in Jerusalem, before he showed up in that moment where Satan would offer him all the kings of the world. Do you know what it says in Psalm two? The father speaking to the son, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. Nations don't belong to the devil. Everything is already his. So if you realize what you've already got, you won't settle for something short term. (laughs) Psalmist wrote this, my God is a sun and a shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold. Psalm 84, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's not holding out on you. He's preparing you for something. All the promises of God are in Christ, yes and amen when I remind myself of what I already have in Jesus, then there's nothing the world or the enemy can offer me. (laughs) Church, who would just get that? The last two, number three, is live on mission. The difference between ambition and purpose is when your dream is no longer just about you. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or through conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests. Does God want to take care of you? Absolutely. But what if your purpose was bigger than you? What if God blessing you was bigger than you? What if God working in your family was even bigger than your family? What if it was for something else as well? (laughs) When you live on mission, you live in purpose and you're no longer driven by selfish ambition, which is about me and mine. The world just says, you do you, follow your heart. Recipe for disaster, self-centeredness. That's why you can have people who have all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, all the opportunity in the world, can't build a healthy marriage, can't walk in integrity. Can't have people close to them. Why? Because none of those things by themselves can fill. But when you live in a purpose, see, sometimes we think our assignment by itself is the purpose. My assignment is my job, and then I retire. What do I do? I have no purpose. No, your purpose didn't leave because you retired. Are are you hearing me? The kids move out. What's my purpose? That was the assignment, your purpose (laughs) state. We still have a purpose. Everyone in here has a purpose from God and we're called to live on mission. What does that look like? It looks like having Jesus at the center and it looks like serving others. Nobody has ever fulfilled their God dream by trying to pursue their own God dream, but by serving others, by blessing others, by making a difference. The last thing, number four, if you're taking notes, is trust God to finish what he started. Trust God to finish what he started. Psalm 138.8 says the Lord will work out his plans for my life. That's what trust looks like. God, I've given you everything and I know you're going to work all things out. I know you're going to take care of my family and I know you're going to build my relationship with my spouse. I know you're going to build my faith and I know you're going to be with me in difficult times and you're going to be with me on the mountaintop and I'm gonna live for your purpose. When you have that mindset, you can also trust and say, God, I know you're gonna work everything out. You will work out your plans for my life. That's good news, church. I don't have to try to figure it all out. I know the one who has it all already in his hand. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Let's trust God to finish what he started in our lives. Joseph, you're going to get to the purpose because God's going to finish what he started. <laughs> I want to pray for two things today. Before we go, we're going to eat, hang out, connect, pray with each other, all that, whatever you need right now. But I, before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity because I believe that in this room, and there's some stuff that maybe has captured your heart. And the way to fulfillment, the way to peace, the way to freedom is by giving it to God. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, no one looking around. You say, Brian, some stuff's captured my heart. Today, I want to give that back to God. Maybe it wasn't even a bad thing. Maybe it was even a God thing. I've had to give God and my dreams from Him. And I found out that in the surrender, God did something in me that often prepared me for what He was trying to bring in my life. But it was at the altar that everything changed. Is that a moment of offering to God what was controlling and what was capturing my heart most? What I was worshiping instead of God. What I was pursuing instead of God. With no one looking around, if you say, that's me, Brian, right now I've got some stuff that's captured my heart and today I'm ready to surrender it to Jesus. Maybe it's something that's been bad in your life. Maybe it's something that's been good. But right now it's holding your heart instead of God. And before God, you say, Brian, I'm giving it to him. I want you to take a step of surrender and lift your hand to God if that's you. In in surrender, we release and let go of what's held as captive. God, just tell him, God, I give this to you. God, I give it to you. I give you my future. I give you my family. I give you my marriage. I give you my business. I give you my ministry. I give you my dreams, my hopes, my expectations. I give you my ambitions. I give you my past, present, and future, God. I give it all to you. And I invite you to do what only you can do. Just give it all to him. God, we love you. You're gonna work out your plans for our life. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.